Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my It's just another night for Supernatural Girls Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker On the one, the only, Supernatural Girls Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I'm here with my co-host all the way from Tucson, Patricia Kirkman. PK, how are you tonight? Absolutely fabulous. I can't wait to get into talking with our guest tonight. Oh, my Whoa, God. What Do a we show have we're going to have. Guest? This mm-hmm. is Not Buckle Your Seatbelt, everybody, because this is leading-edge stuff. And we have Mark Stavish. He's coming on in just a few minutes. We're going to learn all about egregores, which he has several different ways to pronounce that. And he's going to share all those pronunciations with us. But we never heard of this before, right, PK? Mm -hmm. This is brand new for us. Definitely. What a surprise to find out not only is it brand new, but it's great. It's great stuff. And it is Mm -hmm. life-changing. This book, we can't recommend it highly enough. So we, first of all, though, have to get to the numbers because it's been pretty fascinating over the last couple of weeks. What is going on with the numbers, PK? Well, you know, the sad part about it is, and I'm going to say sad because it is a month of ending old things. There's no ifs, ands, Mm -hmm. or buts about that. The day is also a day of ending old things and getting things out of the way. But we're talking about the past, the old, and endings. And if you take a look at what's happening in the world and the things that are happening around us, it's darn near frightening. People don't get it. They're trying to overanalyze. They're trying to make things happen pre their proper time, and they're not letting go of what they need to let go of so they can go forward. People that are in the news, the things that are coming out of their mouths, it's kind of like, oh, my God, did they really say that? (laughs) <laughs> and the things that that, that's, that are going on, who do you trust? It's almost impossible to know who to trust because they don't even trust themselves. And we talk about fake news, huh, it's almost a fake daily what's really happening out there. Things that are ongoing are to wrap up what is so we can make way for the new to take place starting next month. This, what's been going on right now, is to allow us to let go so we can go forward. I don't care what personal year you're in, we're all affected by this nine, which is endings. 
and get rid of the dead wood so we can go forward because next month you have a chance to take that deep breath and really make a difference in your life. But you can't do it if you're dragging these coals to Newcastle, if you will. Yeah, I've got to get rid of those old suitcases full of junk. It's time to just unpack it, get rid of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say this all the time to to my clients. Yeah. I was going to say, if you're listening to us on the road, drop your window and visualize that bag being tossed out. Don't take it home with you anymore. There you go. Yeah. I mean, so many people want to make a change, but they don't want to let go of the old, and they really have to. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. You can't go forward to my clients dragging on all, all that the baggage. Time. No, mm-hmm. you can't. It's going to weigh you down. It's going to hold you back. It's just going to be a bunch of blocks that you're dragging with you. So time to let it go. So, you noticed how now, uptight everybody is about everything? Yeah. Even if yes, you're in a store, I have I mean, they just didn't run over you with the cart and ride next to you. <laughs> That's true. Crazy. It, I try to stay out of the stores. They're just getting more and more dangerous. <laughs> so so the I order online. <laughs> Smartly. It's the only way to fly, really. <laughs> Gosh, huh. but hey, some really interesting paranormal news. I sent that over to you. Did you see this about yes, the giant XR? Yes, what in the world's in this thing? Now, everybody, well, you can I go can't to our believe. Yeah. Yeah. I ahead. can't believe that they used that onyx in that to put this sarcophagus together. It's incredible the weight that they're talking about. Just the weight Tons. alone. And it's so big. It's enormous. It's bigger than anything else they've ever found in this type of of situation. They've never found anything like this. But black marble, and we know that, my God, a little little marble weighs heavy, but you're talking about something this size. It's incredible. How yeah. in the world were they able to get it there and bury it to begin with? I know. And it, they say it weighs over 30 metric tons. Tons. I, carved incredible. entirely. From Black Marble. So it's an interesting article, and we got it from Mysterious Universe. We shared it with everybody on our Facebook page. So mm-hmm. to get that and other incredible stories, make sure you go to our Facebook page and follow us there so you can get all these great stories because we get them from all over the place. This one happened to come from Mysterious Universe. And, again, what their point in this article, I it's well taken. They're saying Sounds to me like it's something that shouldn't be dug up. Sounds like it was a perfect way to entomb an immortal evil wizard or something like that. Yeah. Can you imagine that much black marble to be, to I be able cannot. to have anything that size? To yeah, begin with I know and then it. To carve it. Ooh, way to go, guys. Yeah. I'd like to know yeah. who was there to help them because you know darn well they didn't do it by themselves. No, but they are going to open this thing, and hopefully they're going to tell us what's inside. Now, of course, if it's something that doesn't fit with our known history, they're going to try to bury it even faster than this tomb got buried because they don't want us to know. Yeah, did they give a date for when this was going to be opened? I couldn't find that in the article. You know, I couldn't find it either, but I know they are going to open it. They claim that they are mm-hmm. going to do that. I believe they will. I just oh, wonder what yeah, they're going to release. Like to win. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. we got to look a little further, and we'll put that on our Facebook page, too. 
You know, we were talking about history last week with our mm-hmm. guest and Dennis. And again, there's so much about our history that has been covered up. So right. I wonder if they, what if they find an ET inside? What if they find some type of a giant that uh, changes everything? They're not going to want to tell us about well, it. Well, if they find an ET, they'll dress it up and tell us it's something else. If it's a giant, <laughs> that's it's kind of hard to do anything. That's that's tell us the DNA <laughs> with human, right? Okay, right. everybody. Sure. So, anyways, <laughs> but um, you can find all of our shows now. I wanted to tell everybody this is great news. We are now being streamed, and our podcasts are available on iHeart, Spreaker, Stitcher, and Blogspot. So we're available everywhere on those outlets now, iTunes as well. We have a lot of our shows on the YouTube channel, but we've got to get more of them up. We just have so many shows that we've done over the years, and we're trying to get them all posted. But you can definitely find them on iHeart, iTunes, Spreaker, and Stitcher and Blog Talk. And You're going to be sending me that list also, aren't you? So I can oh. post it on the website for, for I did. people. Yeah, I'm so well, efficient. I already did it. <laughs> you are good. God, you're good. I, I think I'll keep be. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you'll keep me. That's good. So anyway, tonight I think this is going to be one of the most exciting shows ever with for us, and I think for most of our audience, yeah. brand new information and a brand new way of looking at the world that is going to change your lives, everybody. So tonight we have Mark Stavish, who has written a book, and it is called, I'm going to grab it right here, Wish We Were on Video so you could see it. I do, beautifully too. Designed. <laughs> yeah, I know, really. It's called Egregores, the Occult Entities that Watch Over Human Destiny. Now, also, they meddle in human destiny, I think, and we're going to find out more about that. And how do we deal with all of this? How do we get rid of it if we need to? How do we not participate if we don't want to? Well, Mark's the expert on this. So this is one of the most important but little-known concepts of Western occultism. And it's an autonomous psychic entity created by a collective group mind. Now, that's a pretty powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Mark, he is a great recognized authority on Western spiritual tradition. He is the author of 30 books published in In over seven languages. Oh, my God. He's done The Path of Alchemy. Incredible. Health, isn't that? I'm so jealous. And wellness. He is the founder and director of the Institute for Hermetic Studies and the Louis Claude de St. Martin Fund. And, of course, he's appeared on all the big radio shows, including ours tonight. So, Mark, mm-hmm. welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so very much. Glad to be here. Ah, great to have you. We are definitely excited. It's so, this is phenomenal. Now, of course, we want to know more, everything you can tell us about these autonomous psychic entities, What's going on with these things? How are they created? How are they formed? How are they sustained? What, what's going on? And how come we haven't heard about this before? Well, in many ways you have. It's kind of one of those secrets that's in plain sight, uh, except we, most people don't have a name for it. They don't have a word for it. And when they read the book or they hear the term egregores and it's explained to them, then suddenly, 
oh, I get it. Okay, that explains a lot of things in my life from my experiences. Because we're all involved in groups of different kinds. And if you right. notice, groups have a certain personality that they develop. There's certain yeah. types that get involved with them. And what yeah. do those groups do? But they, they are, well, their purpose is to limit behavior. And that's not a bad thing, because if you want to be an engineer and you're in college, your behavior is limited by certain choices in the curriculum you can take. The same if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be an artist. You have to limit your choices. But we, you know, and that's a good thing. But we don't often see that when our behavior is being limited by our social choices or by our religious or philosophical or political choices. Well, sometimes we see it. But only after a while do we begin to wonder, you know, is this really good for me now? It was good in the beginning, but is it good for me now? And that's what we call the uh, Jungians have a great term for it, the collective unconscious, because what happens, right. it happens unconsciously. So whenever you're with a group of people, to some degree, there's what we call an egregore. But there's another kind, too, and this is different. This is the classical meaning of the word, and that means it's not just the collective unconscious of a group of people getting together around a table once a week to you know, either play role-playing games or to discuss how they're going to take over the world from their kitchen table. Uh, or at least the <laughs> county government. No, it's something different. This has to do with the act of creation, an act of decision to do it. See, most of those egregors that we talk about happen naturally. They happen just by the people getting together. But there's another time where people decide to create one, and that is a, a cult egregore, a religious or philosophical egregore. And there, it's not just human beings here on Earth, and the energy they put into this but there's considered to be an intelligent being, an entity, a god, a demigod, an angel, a demon, fill in the blank, whatever it happens to be, something at the other end in the invisible that both benefits from this egregore and also provides something to it in return. And that's the classical notion of an egregore. It's a really very much a religious construct. Can you give us a specific example of that? and how this comes to be, and then how it's sustained, because you do have Roman to cults. feed it, right? Yeah, all of the Roman, all okay. the Roman and Greco-Roman cults, Egyptian religions, all of those. Those were They're perfect examples. They, 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 yes, they, and they actively cultivated them. That was their purpose. The idea was is that you take care of the gods, and the gods take care of you, hence the purpose of sacrifice mm. Okay, and the mm. devotions. But you have... Um, other types of egregores, too. Uh, all you have to do is think of any of your religious upbringing. You know, some very strict behavior patterns get set up. You know, very strict things. Or think of people, you know, who are deeply involved in various political or social movements. It's almost impossible for them to think of anything other than that, 24-7. That's all they're focused on. And we think of it simply in terms of a, so like a psychological a, issue. You know, I was just saying, we think of it only really in terms like of a psychological a, issue. But it's, but it's really not. like it a, goes beyond almost that. a program, isn't it? It's like a yes. programming. Very much. Yeah, very much so. It, it is a control mechanism, again, and for better or worse. You know, when, you're, when you are, um, you know, going through recovery, you know, for drug or alcohol addiction, you may go to, uh, you know, one of the recovery meetings, you know, 12-step programs, and you're going to learn about people, places, and things, and people and places and things that uh, keep you addicted. 
And then you're going to say, well, I've got to change that. I've got to find people and places of things that help me stay sober, okay, that stay off my addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, shopping, gambling, what have you. And within that context, okay, you are essentially going through a reprogramming process. You have to, you know, whenever you undertake any self-help programming or uh, activity that's to make your life better, what are we doing? We're changing our programs. Right. We're going to run a different circuit board. So these egregores can be helpful as in the case of someone who wants to beat addiction, but they can also be harmful. Oh, that's the point. Keeping us, I mean, keeping us stuck. You you become and, and you know we often again think of these things only in terms of very narrow um, activities, okay, our day to day activities. Like people think of the programming only psychologically. They don't think of what it may mean in terms of a esoteric or parapsychological phenomena extending beyond the limits of the individual. And it's the same thing when we get together with groups. You know, you become like the five people you're closest to. That's why you see in religious groups, uh, there's always the admonition, and even in Buddhism, you know, to only be around those who are on the path, to avoid those who aren't mm-hmm. part of that process. And that's to keep you focused. Well, that's good, but sometimes you've got to stand on your own. You're going to have to deal with other people in the world. You know, and so that's where exactly. you look at. Right, so we have to look at when are we able to be adults and get beyond the egregore. You see, that's, that's the right. big question. Well, and first, first do, we rec- do we recognize that we're in it? That's the first thing. Do we recognize that we're in it? Do we recognize what that collective force is doing to us unconsciously? And do we, uh, and do we recognize there's a time to get, get out of it? It's always an energy in, energy out equation. What am I getting out of it, and what am I putting into it, and is this in my best interest? Mm-hmm. Well, they often talk about in wealth consciousness, if you want to learn, if you want to be wealthy, hang around wealthy people. But I always felt like it wasn't just to pick up their habits. It was to really lock on to a wealth frequency because that's what they exhibit. That's what they have is an innate, a lot of them, an innate wealth frequency because possibly they were raised that way. So there is a frequency event, I think, that does take place and certainly would fit with what we're talking about tonight with the egregore because there's energy that's going in in a certain way. So that's a frequency. It's almost like linking to that particular circuit board, right? Is that how you would call it? It's almost like an electrical circuit board. Well, it's yeah, it's it's like you said, wow. it's like a, a tuning fork. You know, I, you you go into this group of folks. I have people all the time. They tell me, well, uh, I, I want to improve my social status, my my professional status, my wealth. What should I do? I said, well, you know, you probably got to get rid of most of your friends, meaning not hang out with them, and find more <laughs> successful and wealthy people to hang out with. But then there they say, to me, but I can't. They say, well, I can't. I don't know how. I said, well, I'll tell you how. And and what what do they they say? Well, what I said? Go join your local Rotary group. I said that's uh-huh. a volunteer organization okay. made up of uh, successful businessmen and women in your community. Go join that. You'll meet successful people, and you'll learn out you'll learn the, the, what it means to be successful. But it's again, it's not just the things of showing up on time and how to dress and how to talk, but it's the attitude. And that attitude, mm-hmm. again, is one which we imbibe through, we imbibe it through exposure, and it's like a tuning fork. 
You know, if you you know how tuning fork works, right? You know, you strike one and yes, then the other yes. one tunes to it. And it's the same way with us. So we uh, become like those things which we expose ourselves to, for better or worse. So pick the better. But you have to know. Pick the better is right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you really have to identify who you're associating with and how it's changing you or keeping you stuck, how it's helping you reach your goals or how it's inhibiting you from reaching your goals. And, you know, it's funny. I hear this all the time, too, from my clients who say, I can't get rid of my friends or I can't make this change or that change. And as a result, their continuous decisions along the same path keep them stuck. So that's part of the egregore. Right, and, and the operative word you give there is decisions. Uh, it's not a decision; it's a habit. That's the problem. And you know, my son, one of my eldest son, he's 18, and he's just started college. Even though it's summer, he's going to summer school at college. He's getting a head start. And I say to him, I said, you know, you, it's a it's a big summer. It's very busy. A lot of work to do. You have to understand that every decision you make has a consequence. And you have to ask yourself yeah. this question. Is what I'm about to do helping me achieve my goal, whether it's the completion of a paper or getting an A in a class or your long-term goal of what you want for your life to be? Is what I'm about to do helping me achieve those goals? And if it is, right. then do it. If it's not, don't do it. But if you can, if you do it anyhow... Realize you have made a conscious decision now, but you're still responsible for your life. And when we understand the notion of a collective unconscious, uh, the collective identity that egregores have, you begin to recognize that while many times, particularly in the religious, the metaphysical, the esoteric, philosophical schools, these are designed to help us perceive things differently can wake up what can often happen along the way is that they just become another habit they just become another right. motion that we go through because we're not making our decisions consciously so it all comes down to uh, again what is this do i stopping and reflecting and saying you know who am i with what do i believe in why do i believe it you know why do i want to buy that object that I'm staring at? Why do I want to sit here and watch this show, even though I don't think it's funny or it's no, you know, it's not entertaining anymore? Why do I do what I do? Well, this is great advice that you gave to your 18-year-old son. Yeah. Well, I, I hope it, so. It's great because, <laughs> you know, I think it is. Yeah, I do. Because, I mean, if you think about how many extraneous thoughts we have, how many distractions we have, and they're all very seductive, whether it's an iPhone or a bad movie or television, it doesn't matter. It's, all of these can be distractions that take us off path. And so the ability to identify that is first and foremost, would you say? It is, and I use the right word, seduction. Uh, it is a seduction because it's subtle. It's mm-hmm. not up in your face. It is. It's subtle and it's easy. It's very subtle, and, it, and they make it look normal. It this, looks and this normal. Is where we get, and that's the big question. 
we get into that with, you know, social issues and concerns and ideas where there's a lot of pressure uh, around points. And you have to begin to say, you know, why do, I, why do I think that way? Why do I believe that? And most of the time you'll notice it's not really a thought in the sense of a intellectual reasoning. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's an opinion, and an okay. opinion is basically a feeling unsupported by facts. You know, you know, everyone's allowed to have an opinion, but, you know, that's fine, but it doesn't make it correct. And right. that's when we, when we look at what is going on here, you find that emotion is the driving force behind most of the information that you're presented with. And it's presented in an emotional manner which means if we go back to you know Marshall McLuhan and the medium is the message, it's what we call an entrainment or a hypnotic entrainment, an attunement, if you will, that heart, you know, that clicking in to get in tune with that vibration. And what that does is that basically sidesteps the reasoning process ever so subtly, which is what you know, advertising is designed to do, public relations is designed to do, and get you to think or act in a particular way. Now, of course, it's, it's not mechanical, you know, people aren't robots, but it's just a matter of constant exposure, constant exposure, wearing wearing you down. That somewhere along the line, you'll go buy the Diet Coke, even though it really isn't good for you, or you'll spend the extra money on something you don't want to, or you'll vote for candidates, or or continue to believe whatever you believe as, as a religion or philosophy, even though it's really not helping you. Yes, exactly. So so all of this is of great concern to us. And I know the people in our audience are very enlightened, they're very intelligent people, and they're always looking for a better way. And that's why I think your book is so critical for our audience. And again, the name of the book by Mark Stavish is Egregore, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. Now, Mark, you had a couple different ways of pronouncing this word. Can you share those with us? Well, we just go with egregores because that's the easiest, but it is Greek, so it should be more like egregore uh, or egregores. But, you know, egregores is fine. It's kind of like a tomato-tomato situation, as I mentioned to you. Um, <laughs> so that's the easiest one to go with. Uh, okay, that's but, fine. Yeah. So fascinating. In every aspect of this book has been absolutely fascinating. It is. You're it going makes to get you everybody's think so attention. Now, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's, now, would you equate the egregore situation with the matrix? Is that something you would say is very similar to what's been described as the matrix? Well, I'm only familiar with that term in relation to the movies, and I, I know that the movies had some, uh, were analyzed way back when as uh, an expression of Gnostic philosophy. And if we look at it in those terms, uh, that very much is the purpose of the egregore. Um, more often than not, okay, not all of them. They're, they're not, an egregore is only a dead end if you, if you, well, it's a dead end if you stay in it, but they're not all designed to be that way. They're not all designed to be dead ends, at least in theory. Um, some of them do have an open end, which you can exit if you if you have the courage to, which is their design. But many of them are designed to keep you trapped in that cycle of of just uh, kind of a blissful ignorance, if you will, or or maybe not so blissful. 
I mean, you, yeah. when, when you're when you're yeah. when you're in the the if you're in a, a certain group of people, and you really believe that you know the truth, that this is the truth, and we know it. Um, anything that goes against that is is rejected, and often very vigorously and, and violently. I mean, I mean, not physical mm-hmm. violence, but emotional violence. And that's that's just the defensive mechanism of that egregore, of that collective unconscious. The question is, what we need to ask ourselves is, is the group we're in, you know, is there something on the other side, on the invisible, that's feeding off this? And that's the, there's two scary parts to the whole egregore concept. Suddenly you realize that you're awash in these kinds of things through all of your activities. And you, it's scary when you begin to actually question and think, well, how many of my decisions are truly my own? Well, that's one thing. That's just the psychotherapy aspect of it. Now when you move into the metaphysical and you think that all these other things are out there, that's where it really gets gets strange. Um, Jacques Vallée, you know, the French um, astrophysicist and, and UFO researcher, um, you know, he wrote extensively about not so much the notion of, of egregores but the notion of deception in uh, the realm of uh, UFOs and the paranormal. And his book, Messengers of Deception, uh, is a classic and really should be read by everyone um, because it talks about just that notion of how after decades of research, no real changes or advances were made, and, and that was just part of the plan. Ah. You know, that the research, the, the research in it itself was a deception because there, was, there may not have even been things to discover. Uh, he... Um, he was and he was vilified by the UFO community for a while because he said, you know what, um, these things aren't from outer space. Uh, mm. They're from somewhere else, and it's not outer space. And and that was a terrifying thought. Um, so you see, you know, he began to tell folks, and, and we see this again. It's the echo chamber effect. You know, when I talk to folks who do UFO research or parapsychic research or even mediumship. Uh, what I find is that they all exist in these little echo chambers. They rarely talk to one another, but also they rarely hmm. talk to occultists who've been doing it for generations or centuries or millennium. <laughs> That's, That's part of the deception. That doesn't make and he sense. Was, yeah. <laughs> well, well oh. Ballet was quite adamant about that. He said the UFO phenomena cannot be understood apart from understanding occultism and the paranormal. Wow. And, ye- and yet That's a mouthful these- right there. Yeah. Right. So this is what a, if you yeah, want to I use mean, a, a, a modern term, I need to say an egregore is just that it's, it's just a self-reinforcing mechanism of thought and action. But, but it has us, its own it- energy, and we're going to get into that. And after the break, we're going to get into the sure. scarier parts of this. Because this, these things do have their own energy, and they are—they become their own entity. We got to talk more about that because that's where it gets really spooky. So everybody, stay tuned. We're going to take a very short commercial break, and we're coming right back and talking with Mark Stavish about egregores and his new book. So stay tuned, everybody. You're listening to Supernatural Girls Radio, and we will be right back. Are you ready for a new experience of freedom and powerful connection? Would you like a positive, effortless change in your life? 
Then come to CosmicFusion.com, where we offer the most advanced energy clearing and expansion techniques in the world with a quantum vortex energy to activate your divine blueprint and life's purpose. When your soul leads the way with cosmic fusion and quantum vortex energy, you can break clear of past difficulties and blocks with the power of the source. With cosmic fusion, the source energy does the work for you. It's easy and effortless. Listen to our free meditation right from our Cosmic Fusion website, the Cosmic Code Meditation. Sign up for one of our interactive webinars today. Come to Cosmic Fusion, www.kosmicfusion.com to experience an effortless awakening and transformation. Are you ready for an upgrade? Are you ready for a new experience of living in the fifth dimensional magic and powerful connection? Then visit CosmicFusion.com today. CosmicFusion.com Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get Attorney Pat Quintilian's book, are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Astridian is a family of cosmetic products with 98% pure ionized minerals. We combine our science with a blend of essential oils to nourish and take care of your skin's health. How does it work? All Astridian products contain the proprietary redox technology having the capability of simulating an ionic zinc-copper superoxide dismutase effect. This free radical scavenger currently in your body has been diminished by toxins and the daily stresses of life. It is a perfectly balanced mineral complex that all $200 an hour dermatologists, their professors, and ancient history have proven. Redox technology is a process of reducing the skin's oxidation by transferring electrons from a radical state to a stress-free normal condition. Oxidative stress is a form of cellular aging, and as science has proven, a precursor to disease. The free radical theory of aging states that organisms age because cells accumulate free radical damage over time. Damaged cells are not beautiful, but healthy cells are. The Astridium family is presented in four different uses that cover unique benefits to your body. They are the Essential Anti-Aging Series, the Multivitamin Series, Sports Series, and Professional Series. Regain your youth with the power of Astridian. Visit www.astridian.com and inquire. Use the code SUPERNATURAL and receive a 10% discount on your first purchase. Astridian, the beauty of being healthy. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. I am here with my co-host, PK. And if you would like a numerological reading, she's the one to see. You can find PK at PatriciaKirkman.com, and you can also find her at SupernaturalGirls 
with a Z.com. And if you're interested in anything to do with dreams, then come talk to me. You will find me on Supernatural Girl's website. Just send me an email. Be happy to talk with you about any kind of dream adventure that you're looking to have or dream groups. So tonight we are speaking with Mark Stavish, who's written a great new book, and it's called Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. Now, Mark, you've got some tremendous quotes in this book. I just, I loved reading it, even just for the quotes. And you've got one here from Napoleon Hill, who wrote Think and Grow Rich. And he says, the coordination of knowledge and effort of two or more people who work toward a definite purpose in the spirit of harmony, no two minds ever come together without thereby creating a third invisible, intangible force, which may be likened to a third mind. Uh, That's a pretty powerful statement. And that addresses some of what you started to talk about with this whole other element, the metaphysical side of this aggregate energy. Well, and and on the the most obvious understanding of that quote is, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So it's, you know, the, a team is more than just a collection of, of players. You know, the, the two of you form something bigger than just two people with a radio show. So the whole is always greater right. than the sum of the parts. Uh, and that's really important to realize uh, and understand that. The question then arises as, say, in the Scripture, in the, in the Gospel, it says, when two or more are gathered in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. And this is one of the promises given in the Scripture. Now, the, the problem is, many people don't understand metaphysically, that there's a variety of different names two or more people can gather in or under, and a variety of different, you know, eyes that can be in the midst of them when they, when they invoke them. Uh, we right. have a variety of different, a variety of different religious and wonderful religious and philosophical beliefs that have existed over the, the millennia, and a lot of that uh, are are unknown as well. Now, humans are wonderfully, uh, arrogantly simplistic in their spirituality, particularly the New Age movement. Uh, you know, there's all this talk about you know self awareness and self becoming and, and all this stuff, but but the reality is we. You know, we're not alone in the universe. We're not alone in the world, let alone in the right. universe. So, you know, people do, they'll all talk about this stuff, about invisible beings and angels and demons or, you know, ghosts or elementals or whatever, fill in the blank, invisible masters. But but they have no real way of assessing what those are or what they'd actually be like to engage them. You know, it's it's a great mystery. They're, they're more often than, as I said earlier, they're, they're, they're looking at experiences, but they don't have a map on the road they're traveling. That's why these, these groups have to start talking together more. You know, it's not only do they have experiences, but maps. So, you know, when you, when you get together to do an activity, to undertake some process, you know, there's always that question then, is there something invisible that's feeding off it? Is mm. there something that is both blessing you and benefiting you, like an invisible muse? Okay? An invisible right. inspiration? Or is there something uh, vampiric or, uh, you know, uh, parasitical that benefits from your uh, deceptions for, you know, and from your activities? 
Yeah, it's all about emotion. The energy, the energy that these things feed off of is all emotional. And we can create these things, right? That's what you're saying in the book is that we have created these things. Yes, that's true. We again, whenever you get together, your friends say, you know what? We're going to make a difference in the world. We're going to uh, undertake some activity that will benefit our community and fix the the local playground. Uh, when that group harmonizes to get that task done, it essentially forms a, a small egregore, and that egregore will last for the duration of that project. Okay. Um, Fascinating. Yet at the sa- mm-hmm. at the same time, and I'll, I'll extend this out a little bit just for for the listeners to get an idea. You know, who benefits from that? Well, they think the community and the people and the children, but maybe uh, there's invisible beings that don't benefit from it, and they will hamper that project. Or maybe there are invisible beings that will benefit from that, and they will assist. We often don't think in those terms, but we be, we need to. We need to begin to think of that in terms of it. Um, that's why you notice a bit of that is held over at the end of the Christian Mass, in most of them that I've heard, where they call down not just the blessing on the on the congregation, but then say, and let this go forth to all those who are sick mm-hmm. in the congregation, all those who are in mm-hmm. need the community, and they do the blessing all the way up to the leadership of the country and the world. See, that's a way of, of recognizing interconnectedness, but if you notice, it's usually just humans that are involved. There's yes. others. Yeah. And in Tibetan Buddhism, well, not just Tibetan Buddhism, but a lot of schools, they have classes of beings, so it's not just humans, but there's ghosts. How do we help them and their suffering? There's beings, what they call in the hell realms, the realms of suffering. How do we help them and their suffering? There's demigods, there's angels, and there's enlightened beings as well, and a and whole spectrum in between, and animals as well, whole spectrum. And we have to begin to work our our spirituality so that it recognizes and works harmoniously with those beings, and uh, doesn't hinder them, and that you know they don't hinder us. And egregores is about really getting a group together that works in a direction. So you need those invisible but what, beings. But what about, I mean, the power of the the entity itself? I mean, there's, as you talked about it, it, it could be anything. It could be demonic. It could be angelic. So there's there's a lot to be discussed when it comes to these things. How do we know what we're even dealing with? Well, you can generally tell by the emotion and by the response. If it's healthy and, 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 and in a positive way, uh, you'll know it. If it's making you feel uh, then there's going to be a problem. So like paras- general parasitical entities, you would find at places that where there's a lot of emotion and a lot of unconscious behavior. So, you know, bars, concerts, right. you know, slums, all of these mm-hmm. are homes to the parasitical. Now, not exclusively, but that, that's the low-hanging fruit of the world, we'll call it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Where are things that are going to be more beneficial? Uh you know, a retreat center, a church, uh, a garden, places where there's, you know, fine art and uh, things are uplifting that create good, you know, healthy and peaceful emotions in you. And, of course, there's a spectrum in between. Mark, what about the, the political element of things? How does that, how is that affected? Well, nations have egregores. Mm-hmm. And those egregores even appear as a symbol in the, in the astral, so to speak. You know, the Russian bear, the American eagle, 
the French uh, cock, you know, what else? Mm-hmm. The, the, the British lion. Like us, are, are living entities. They live, they have a life cycle, and they can decay, but they can also be revived. That's the other thing. Life cycles can, egregores can be rejuvenated, but they need human energy, and that takes okay. place in terms of emotion. But that also can be, in, in desperate times, it can be through bloodshed as well. Now, egregores fight, and before any war takes place on the physical world, it has to take place, in, we say, in the astral first. And the ancient Romans knew that. They had, that's why they had rituals which they would undertake to attempt to get, to undermine the, the, the egregore of the, of, of the enemy state before the actual combat took place. No kidding. That is so advanced. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? But they knew what how to do that. What a totally new way of looking at things. Whew. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's in, because it involves so many other dimensions, and they were able to mm-hmm. reach those and, and use it to their advantage. Let me ask you a question. It's a little bit off track, but I, I want to sure. know the answer to this one. What about a golem? What is that? I mean, is that also an egregore? Um, I, I think the idea... golem is, is, strictly speaking, a being made of clay, animated through Kabbalistic practices, designed to defend the Jewish people in times of trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny you should ask me that because I... Uh, there was a, I'm not far from a city known as Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, where I was born. And on the television show Supernatural, the first one I ever saw took place in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. It wasn't actually filmed there, but it took place there. <laughs> so, uh, wow. A little coincidence there. But the, the golem is in theory an animated being of clay and is supposed to be in part the inspiration for Shelley's Frankenstein story. Uh, there is also the idea that the golem is not to be taken as a, as a literal being of clay, an animated being of clay, but is another form of um, uh, metaphysical experience uh, more to a thought form like uh, that you hear with uh, the, the so-called tulpas that we hear talked about. I don't believe that as much. I think it is meant to be taken literally as an animated being, an artificially animated being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it be that's a, the way it's described. Mm-hmm. Right, but that would be more of a, a, a generated thought form. Here's the thing. Every thought form, because everything begins as a thought, so everything is a thought form, but not all thought forms are egregores. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's just, Absolutely. this whole topic is fascinating, isn't it, PK? Mm-hmm. This is amazing stuff. So, go ahead. Go ahead. Now you go. I was going to say, you keep stopping in space trying to figure out, it's almost like one layers over the next, over the next, because each one opens a different door to it. Yeah, that's, and that's where you have to keep your wits about you so you don't go down the rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh and, and not come back. And, and that's where we get a notion of dreams, you know, and, and what we contact in, in the invisible. And that uh I think H. P. Lovecraft, who we talk about in the book, is a perfect example of that. Um he claimed that what he wrote was not fantasy, as we think of inspired imagination. He said that those were his dreams. 
Now, hmm. his dreams are horrific. Uh, and, yeah. and while while he denied, he claimed to be a, an astute uh, or a devout materialist, scientific materialist, his whole life, and denied any metaphysical beliefs. Uh, his fundamental view of the world and the universe uh, was such that uh, many people have come to believe that you know, he maybe in his dreams was perceiving uh, other aspects of reality that were, again, that drive people to the edge of madness. Mm. So that's, that's a possibility as well. Just as people have beautiful and wonderful dreams and may perceive other realities that are beyond them, that actually are beyond them, and, um, and, and, and seeing these other worlds, these other psychic dimensions that exist, these heavenly realms, if you will, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, they're there. There's no question about it. And, but here's another here's another thing that I wanted to discuss with you tonight. I've been listening a lot to some Indian gurus lately on YouTube, and it's fascinating. But there's a lot of Indian deities. Now they are you know people chant to them, they pray to them. Mm-hmm. Would they be considered egregores? Oh, very much so. Uh, however, oh. they're aware of the, they're aware of that. They don't use the term, but they're aware of that because uh, if you look at the Indian philosophy, uh, the gods are are mortal. I mean, they have a huge lifespan; they're massive, but the mm-hmm. gods come and go. The gods come and go. So that's an important part to to remember. And, and this is where we talked about the different realms. There's the human realm. Uh, the animal realm, the ghost realm, the hell realms, and then above us, the demigods, the gods, and that, the god realm, and then beyond that is the enlightened beings, the realm of the enlightened beings. And, and in that realm, that's the only one that is beyond duality. Enlighten, the gods exist even in duality. It's a massive life chance. And, and I don't know, when I say these words, I, I, everyone's going to understand them slightly differently, but so it's just a way of beginning to think about the process. We need God? a map, Mark. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, we, we do. You know, we See, this is what we do. Map. We have many. Well, we have maps. We, we have uh, we maps. So the, 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 the Kabbalah gives us uh, the Tree of Life. The Neoplatonists and the Hermeticists have, have maps. Uh, the Tibetan Buddhists, the Indians, they all have maps of these things. And this is what I talk to you. These groups don't talk to each other. So they're, they're, they're exploring without a map. And then wondering what, why they ended up in the swamp and they can't get out. Swamp. <laughs> are, are there some that That's become not. more fashionable than others? Since we do tend to do that with things in this lifetime. I'm sorry. Uh, what was that question? I said, are there certain aspects that are fashionable because of uh, the, shall I say, the Buddhist will be that'll be more prominent at this point. It's more like it's in fashion now versus the esoteric parts or the Tibetan, is there a cycle that these go through? I think so. And it's, you know, it's hard to tell what that's going to be, but everything runs in some kind of cycle. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. It's really just a matter of each individual taking responsibility for their journey and saying, okay, look, I, I want to first of all understand myself because if I don't do that, nothing else matters. And I tell you this all the time in every one of my writings, Enough of the saving the world. That's beyond your pay grade. <laughs> enough with the world. Sure. In, enough, sure. with, 
enough with world peace. That's beyond your pay grade. Okay? Because what do you mean? Enough with it. If you simply understand yourself, you will be doing all those things that encourage and assist in world peace. But these utopian ideas that people get behind and then put all their energy into, if you notice at the end of the day, they often only create bitterness, anger, sorrow, and resentment because no, because true. other people didn't get behind it. So who benefited? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who, yeah, who won? It is none. Yeah, you, yeah, the individual well. didn't. So, mm-hmm. if so it's you all about the individual journey. Yeah, the, the ancients said, know thyself. And in so go out and save the world. The Buddha didn't try to save the world. Now, he didn't. He didn't even want to teach anybody after the Enlightenment. He said, no one can understand this. And, you know, it took the second turning of the so-called second turning of the wheel of the Dharma before anything happened. So um, even the stuff with, with, uh, with Jesus, you know, in the Gospel, he tells his disciples to go teach, but, you know, if they don't want to listen, he tells you to go. You know, this, this notion of world salvation is an egregore. This notion that we're going to create world peace, and all it does is create dictatorships. Uh-huh. You know, I like I mean, what you say. So- yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, national socialism, you know, Nazis, that was a utopian ideal. Mm-hmm. You know, look how many people died there. Communism was even worse, and that's still around. Yes. Look how many mm-hmm. hundred million, hundreds of millions, what, 100 million people maybe were killed under that? We don't even know. Yeah. They lost count. And that's, that's a utopian right. ideal. It never happens. Mm-hmm. So the best thing for each person to do is to free themselves from all of these idealistic egregores and just work for their own awakening and do so in a manner, if they do it properly and they do it, with concern for others, they will naturally begin treat others well and with respect and be kind and generous and do all those things that help make the world a better place. Start with making your community better. Do something concrete. Don't throw your energies into fantasies. Those are egregores, and you as an individual will not benefit from it. But someone else and something else will. That I guarantee you. Mm. That's for sure. So, now here's another question, a little off topic, but I still I have to know the answer to this. Have you read Carlos Castaneda's books, where he references an entity that basically takes sucks the life out of people? It attacks humans. It's attacking us all the time, uh, stealing our life force. And wearing us down. Have you read about that from Castaneda's books? Well, you know, it's been a very long time since I, I read Castaneda. And so I will cannot comment on that in particular. What I can comment on is that's just a reality. You know, the the universe, people want to think that the universe is a wonderful place, and it's not. You know, no, it isn't. It's a, I agree with that. It's a, it's a neutral place. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's neutral because if the cosmos weren't neutral, 
then there'd be no way for us to have the experiences that we need for our becoming. Right. <laughs> so, you right. know, there, there's going to be experiences which are pleasant and unpleasant, but that's all part of our awareness of the friction that gives rise to awareness, that gives aware, uh, that gives our, helps our becoming, our illumination, our enlightenment, if you want to call it that. So just as, you know, life is a giant food chain, Mm-hmm. So it is. just as there's, para- there's parasitical entities that feed off us, just as we then seek to feed off other entities. I mean, let's face it: when you go into the church or into your your oratory or your 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 private prayer meditation room, and you make these offerings of incense and uh, whatever else you do, and and you say your prayer, you say, "Oh God, please come and help me." and get me those winning numbers to the lotto, and I'll just be such a generous yes, person yes. when that happens. <laughs> you don't think of that as being a cosmic parasite. No, no. how many people do it once they once it happens. But, but, but you don't think of yourself as being parasitical, but you mm-hmm. are. <laughs> yeah. Really? Now, now I always, We're being parasitical? Well, how? Explain that. <laughs> well, because you're asking for this being, this thing, to come in and help you and do something for you. You want it to spend its time and energy on you because it doesn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, let's make a deal. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, you get it. I mean, you know, the angels yep. just hang out. they got nothing to do or whatever they are, these invisible masters. They're just waiting for you to, to you know, come and to help you with your personal life. Yeah, yes. for more stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but that's part of the that, that that's part of the distraction that we've talked about, you know, before the show. You know, that's part of the the message of neutralization, where even even good ideas can become destructive if we're not careful. In fact, that that's the only way it can happen. If if we know something is destructive, we're going to stay away from it. There's got to be a hook or a catch first. There's got to be a way in. So we really and have I think to be the, careful and evaluate things appropriately in terms of the groups we get involved in, the thoughts that we share with other people. It could be a trap. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's it. That's why silence is, is a virtue. Excuse me, it's discretion, <laughs> constant discretion. Awesome. Because you, you have to um, constantly ask yourself, who who does this benefit? I, I see people on social media all the time posting their dreams or posting their magical experiments. Or po- and, and, and the rules, the first rules of this are be silent. And, and yet there they are telling the world about what they do. And then they wonder why their activities come to naught, why there's no fruition, because they've spent all their energy. But mm. something benefited from that. Something benefited from that spent energy. Except it wasn't. But it wasn't them. Yeah, it was not them. Mm -hmm. So, how do you work with an egregore in a way that is positive and helps you to reach the level of consciousness that you may have a goal set for? How do you do that? Knowing these things really exist. Well, first of all, you have to recognize that the egregore is the school. Any school of teaching is a training ground. It is a school from which you will graduate. And if you do not graduate, um, then you have to ask yourself why and how. 
And by that I mean you may go in and join an occult order or an esoteric group or a church. Churches are a little different in that way because they don't, they don't pretend to teach you methods of self-awareness uh, or realization. But then you have to say, okay, well, I do this, and what am I putting into it? You know, how much time and energy and resources am I putting into it? Am I getting the results that the practices are supposed to give me? Mm-hmm. You know, do I see people in the group who've achieved? Are the people in the group like people I want to be? Do I want to be around them? Would I trust them with my house plants? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, that's a critical question. Absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was with I was with the leader of uh, one well-known organization years ago wonderful fellow we're good friends and when he turned and asked me as we're waiting to pick up my son in, in line at for at school you know uh you know why i never joined the group or petitioned to join and i said well because of the members <laughs> and, he la- and, and he laughed because he knew exactly what i meant you know that they you know they were, they were having some of the people were just causing problems all the time yeah. Interesting. You know, in Freemasonry, they have a phrase that says, guard ye well the Western Gate, meaning, you mm-hmm. know, the door of entry. Organize, or guard ye well the Western Gate. Whenever you're in a group, always be careful about who you let in. Uh, I don't believe in anyone has the right to anything, you know, when it comes to these kinds of things. You don't have the right to join a group. Mm-hmm. That's a private organization, particularly of a spiritual nature. And when people want to force their way in, they're the very ones that need to be ejected with force because they oh, will only cause damage yeah. and harm. Yeah. You know, when when you are in, guard ye well the western gate of your thoughts. My great uncle was a wonderful mystic. Uh, his, so was his father and, and, and his uh his father's uncle before him going back to eastern, what's now Poland, but then it was eastern Germany, and the lands where Jacob Bima and a lot of the mystics came from, and some of the early Rosicrucian movement. And he would routinely say to me, everything is suggestion. Hmm. We're suggested into the world and we're suggested out of it. And when the television, when he's watched TV, he would always turn the sound off when the commercials came on. Smart man. Yeah. And and so you guard the gate of your mind. You guard the gate of your associations. You guard the gate of your mind. And that makes a lot of sense. uh, That makes a lot of sense. Let me give you you an example of an egregore that's ubiquitous, and that's sports. Uh, Julius Evola, who who came to some prominence uh, because of his writings, in, in the last election, people had never heard of him before that. Um, but he said in a, in a book back in the 1950s, I think it was, that sports was the new religion. Now, you look at the great temples that we've built as professional sports and athletes, you think of how much time and energy and resources people spend on professional sports and being following it. And following the statistics and following this and, and, and the, the players' performance – and I'm not saying that you know, the people shouldn't be concerned about sports, but it's elevated to this religious status, and its mm-hmm. players are treated as if they're demigods. Exactly. Yeah. Literally, I mean that quite literally. And I said to someone, I, they said, you don't watch sports? I said, no. I said, why not? I said, well, it's okay. You do what you want. But 
you see those guys there? They're making tens of millions of dollars a year. Uh, why should I put any energy into focusing on them and what they do when I could be quite certain that they probably haven't read any of my books? <laughs> Good point. That is so like true. That. What's in it for me for caring about what's going on in his or her life? And, you know, celebrities mm-hmm. are perfect examples of an egregore. Oh, because, God, yes. yes. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah, because you look at them, uh, how is it that Marilyn Monroe uh, uh, was James Dean and uh, even the, 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 the you know, Shea Rivera is amazing. You know, he was Castro's uh, personal executioner. And somehow he's, he, you see his poster and, and picture is plastered on, uh, on T-shirts on college campuses on, on, you know, opening day in the fall, you know, when, yeah. they, when, they're, when they're selling stuff. How does that happen? Well, that's an Ecuador. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, you know, because it's they're more, because... Well, that's also called something we call apotheosis, and where mm-hmm. a human being is elevated to a divine status. And and you see a picture of that of George Washington is elevated to a divine status. I believe it's in the Capitol Rotunda where it's painted. But that is actual a practice, and where in the ancient times in different cults, where a person who was executed, they they could be uh, not as often it was done with a criminal, someone was executed, but it could also be done with someone who underwent ritual death, like a royalty, like a king or something, mm-hmm. um, where they are their soul, their essence, then is captured and used as a vehicle to communicate with the beyond and create an egregore. Wow. That sounds really spooky. Gosh. But, you know, don't you think, Mark, that things have changed for celebrities since Marilyn Monroe's time? I mean, you look at these great stars, Natalie Wood and Marilyn Monroe, and, I mean, these people were giants. They were demigods. But now... I look at these celebrities, and so many of them have embarrassed themselves, or they're got, they've gotten on one political side or another, and it's very polarizing. I don't see the same uh, the same level of adulation being given to them as there was in the past. What do you think about that? Is, is that what you're well, saying? There, well, first of all, there's more of them. I mean, there's more avenues for 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 celebrity right. status than there ever was before with all the stations. Uh, so it's still there, and there are superstars out there. And, you know, so we do have those superstars and superstar status, but there are more stars. There's, we have become a mm-hmm. media culture completely, and that media culture is a form of uh, hypnotic induction and distraction that keeps people mm. from actually spending time on any kind of reflective spiritual pursuit. So we've become an entertainment culture between sports, video games, movies, um, television. Uh, that is the sucking away of the life force that you talked about with Castaneda, mm-hmm. where people just sit there and their life force is drained. Yes, yes. So we all need to be aware of this, certainly. But can you talk to us now about Rosicrucianism? Because you mention it, and you talk about mm-hmm. it quite a bit in the book. And you talk about, is it called, what was it, the Cathedral of the Soul? Was that it? Yeah, now that's very particular. That's, that has to do with the Rosicrucian Order Amwork uh, up there in San Jose, California, uh, but also around the world at different places. It's probably the largest and most well-known of the various Rosicrucian groups in existence. And uh, I wrote that because it was a very good example of an egregore, but not by name. 
In fact, within the Amorc teachings, the term egregore didn't really appear, I believe, until the 80s, possibly early, not late 80s, mm-hmm. early 90s. And, but the essence of it was, and this is where I tell people use the duck test. Just because something isn't called an egregore doesn't mean it isn't one. Now, mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing. And why I like that is because Amorc was uh, consciously creating a collective focal point for its members, for its spiritual work, which was clearly stated to be under the direction of the head of the, of the order, the Imperator, which at that time was Harvey Lewis and then his son Ralph Lewis. So that's important. They knew the rules of the game, that this is under the direction of the head of the group, but that everyone is to come here for some benefit, some insight, Okay, so we have we have that happening, and it's to help the organization grow, which means physically and materially and mem- membership-wise, but also in terms of what we'll call spiritual strength, because it was really a very dynamic movement for many decades. Okay, and yet at the same it was, time, yes. well, yeah, very it was. popular. And what I what I what I found fascinating about it was that. Several years into the formation of this Cathedral of the Soul, which they later changed the name to the Celestial Sanctum, they began to say, well, you know what, should we keep this practice or not? You know, Mm. should we be as specific about it or should we be more generalized? You know, in the beginning they had very specific visualizations, and then later on they let members do something more general, you know, so that it wasn't Mm -hmm. as as, uh, limiting. And they were questioning, you know, should we keep doing this? So I think that they were very reflective about it. And they understood uh, the value of a good egregor. They valued it. And they also understood the potential uh, maybe harm and wanted to avoid that. So I I think that they're a good example of that. They were very conscientious at the time. So they were really trying to help. And and this was one of the things that they did to offer some type of help to people. Very, very much so, and they had regular times of meditation for healing, which was known as the Council of Solace, and uh, I'm sure they still do, but they also had something which was very interesting, was called Metafocus, and Metafocus mm-hmm. was in the back of the Rosicrucian Digest, which was their monthly magazine at the time, and it would have a line drawing of a world leader, and then a word next to it. And they had these words, they were just made up, like any other word. And it was a little abbreviated term that had a meaning. It might mean peace or strength or uh, compassion. I, I'm just pulling out, you know, uh, mm-hmm. making this up as I go. Sure. I, don't remember the, I don't remember the exact words, but it was something general, well, general like that. Um, and you, as part of Metafocus, would spend so many minutes at a particular time Focusing on that leader and using that word as a, as a mantra, as a focal point of what you'd like them to experience. Now, let that sink in. They're trying to send thoughts of goodwill and helpfulness to all the world leaders one at a time. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yes, it is. I like that. What they did nice. then at some point, they, they, got, they, they stepped back and they got rid of the individual picture and just encouraged members to pick one of their own or some, you know, someone they like or just to send thoughts of general goodwill. Mm-hmm. So they got out of the international <laughs> meditation. 
experience. Well, the, the, yeah. yeah, the specifics of it. Yeah, having a specific right, leader be there. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is great. But how many? Now, here's another question for you. How many people does it take to create an egregore? Well, theoretically, one could do it. Yes, because one. then it would grow. Okay. In, well, because it would then grow in strength. The idea is it would grow. But if we use the gospel of two or more, or as we've had with uh, uh, Napoleon Hill, usually two or more is required because you need a pairing or a group. So two would be a pairing, three would be the minimum for a group. Uh, so really the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. But they have to they have to be focused. But it doesn't take a lot. The question is how no, much it- energy are they going to put into it? Right, and how do you feed it? So you feed it just by putting attention on it? That is correct. You focus emotional energy at it. You have to feed so it's all emotional. emotional. Okay, so now, it's emo- and when you say the, emotion, the, there's a lot of emotions. So what emotions are we talking God, about? Yes. Are we talking about love? You well, know, that's, what, what that, depends on, that, just, that depends on the kind of egregore. You're trying to create. I'm sure the egregore of Hell's Angels isn't one of love. Yeah, to so them not. it is, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe it is yeah. to them. <laughs> it is to them. Wow. And and in, and as I said during the classical period, they would they would feed these through offerings and sacrifice. The most important being, uh, you know, blood sacrifice. But of course, they were, you know, you see that in the Old Testament where they would sacrifice oxen and. Mm-hmm. All sorts of animals in the altars. What because about the, the media? Energy. Yeah, that's the energy they wanted. What about the media, Egregore? Because it's been the media has. I've never seen the media be as exposed as it is today. That it is very, very prejudiced. It is very much has its own agenda. This has not happened. Uh, until most recently, in the last few years, it's been exposed. Well, what do you make of that? The egregore is breaking down, or what's happening? Because that veil well, think, has been lifted on the media. Well, I think there's several things that have to be looked at there. First of all, and, and this is where we, when you look, at, you know, when you look at the media, uh, the very, and here we're talking primarily the news media is what we're referring to. Um, mm-hmm. The attempt to influence the news media across the country by various organizations and movements hostile to the United States uh, and other Western European countries has been in existence for probably 80 years. And the long march through the institutions, which is what it's called, was the idea to create and control various institutions in the country, primarily academia, media, and then, if possible, the judicial system, okay, in order to mm-hmm. force through ideas that normally would not have been uh, either accepted or passed muster under normal uh, uh, lawmaking practices. Now, that needs to be understood, and that's a historical reality. And that, But in order to have the patience to do that requires a profound dedication on the part of the people doing it because it's multi-generational. Now, what happens is you have been told this has been happening for decades, but many people would say, no, 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 no. Why deal a lot with the media? 
Now, and I can tell you, the best and the brightest don't go into mass communications. That's just the mm-hmm. way it is. And I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm sorry if I offend them, but uh, you know, they're not there. They're just concerned about being a personality now, a media personality, not as much about right. being a reporter. It's about moving on to the next market. So we have several things going on. We have this long march to the institutions. We have this uh, elevation of the reporter to megastar, not just reporter, but now megastar and a media personality, okay, to celebrity status. We have um, the sudden realization that, you know, what I'm being told isn't matching what's happening around me. And even, you know, uh, when, the average, when the average person can suddenly realize, you know, that's really not what's going on. And there's also the pushing to the margins, meaning to the edge, the ultimate realization that a lot of things you're being told just don't work. They don't fit. They do, life does not happen that way, but you're being told to believe it. I mean, I live in what's called one of the flyover states. You know, and I constantly make fun of my folks in California for thinking that the world revolves around them, you know, because of the time <laughs> distance. So don't you guys ever check yeah. area codes? <laughs> but, but you know, so th- th- this notion of elites, uh, particular media elites, political elites, uh, political elites, and seeing that close interrelationship that exists between them, okay, on one level, as well as the close relationship that we've been told exists between various political elites, industrial elites, and the military, okay? But, you know, what we don't understand is that when, when Eisenhower gave his farewell address that talked about the military-industrial complex, the thing that's always pulled out of that address when you're told about it is he also warned about the educational industry as being part of that complex. Oh. So, you know, so what we have now is both I would not say the weakening of, in some ways there are, is a weakening of the egregore. There is a profound weakening of the American egregore in many ways, if you want to call it that. But at the same time, what you're seeing is the, the contending heads, and, and that's actually a technical name of, of one of the Kabbalistic, the, one of the chief Kabbalistic demons. You know, it's these two heads that battle for control, but they're part of the same body. You know, so you don't, you know, it doesn't really matter which one wins because it all goes to the same place. But in some ways you have this battling between two extreme forces in this country, um, and neither of which have your best interests at heart. And you see that in this notion of deep state. What is the deep state? And the conspiracy theories. And it, it's funny because I, I like to remind all of my my uh, new agey friends who were so condescending in the in the 90s and 2000s, I said, I said, <laughs> for all of your prophetic and clairvoyant ability, not only couldn't you pick who was going to win the elections, but in terms of long-term predictions, all of those fundy Christians that you were making fun of seemed to hit the, the target more than you did in terms of yeah. restrictions. So, and I, and I, you know, just saying, because they were looking at the obvious, I'm not saying they had any great prophetic ability, but they weren't deluded by a fantasy. Well, not that fantasy, at least. And and this right. is where we have to get out of our, our, our preconceived notions. And egregore is a veil. It becomes a, a preconceived notion of the way things should be rather than the way they are. 
One way they so, are. Yeah, that's uh, a great definition. I like that definition, Mark, that you just gave of that. And now we are also seeing an upsurge in people being interested in the paranormal. So mm-hmm. there's less embarrassment around it. People aren't afraid to come out and say, hey, you know, I believe in UFOs or I've seen a UFO or I've had ex- great experiences with ghosts or mediums or whatever. People are not so afraid to talk about it anymore. So do you feel that there's a positive egregore being built around that? Well, uh, Jean Dubuis, the French alchemist um, and engineer, uh, used to speak of something known as the initiation of the nadir, or the nadir. And uh, that was uh, a kind of cosmic push that happens uh, after you've kind of reached some level of bottom. Now, this is cyclic, of course. It's not uh, always some great historical moment. But uh, he had said that, you know, it appeared that the, the the majority of people now had in some way experienced this because they were interested or had some spiritual direction. So that if you look at the <clears throat> the number of people on the planet, now we could say at least half of them or more, okay, had some interest in spirituality. The problem is those early interests aren't always that sophisticated meaning that they can become a trap, too. And, you know, one of the books I wrote is called Pathology of the Sublime, which talks about a lot of the problems that people run into in their spiritual journey that they're not told about. You know, I mean, it, I'm really glad that people are interested in, in paranormal and that kind of thing, but it can be a trap. You can spend your lifetime studying it and not make any real spiritual awakening, not know yourself any better. The same with UFOs. You could read hundreds of books on UFOs. And still, I mean, look, Jacques Vallée was the premier researcher for decades, and he said, after looking at the information, being there and interviewing people, because I have no better idea now than when I started of what actually is going on here. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really yeah. important that when we, when, we, when we look at these things that we have to make sure, what am I getting out of my studies? What am I getting out of my, my, my reading? What am I getting out of my practice here? And so you always have to be ready and able to evaluate and then let go. We're going to go circle back, PK, to what you talked about numerologically. Be able to let go of what is not helping us to learn mm-hmm. about ourselves, not helping our spiritual awakening, and let go of it. And get out of that mindset, that group, that thought of utopia or whatever that they've gotten behind. Really free themselves so that they can get back to their mission here, which is their own self-enlightenment. So is that what we need to do? That's it. And and it's not selfish because if you don't know something, you can't help anyone else. If you don't so take true. the time to, you know, uh, know, you can only help someone on the path to the degree that you've walked yourself. And that's, that's the problem true. with so many, that's the problem with professional clergy. I mean, we've all met ministers or clergy that we like. But mm-hmm. why? You, but but it doesn't mean I agree with them or that they have anything of value. I went back uh, to my Lutheran church. My son had to give a presentation for for his group that he's in Dimalay, which is a Masonic youth group. He gave a wonderful presentation. It was well received. But this was a church of my childhood, and 
the 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 sermon was nothing but you know some kind of uh, social political statement. Oh no, really? Oh, I mean, that's yeah, bad. And I and I said this is all very nice, but you should have been a social worker, not a minister. This has nothing to do with uniting me with my inner self or the divine. Yeah. Well, and how many religions even bother with that, really? Well, increasingly in the West, almost all of Christianity has degenerated into some form of social political movement. And that's what right. happens when and, – and by the way, so has a lot of the New Age – the New Age movement has been co-opted by utopianism for decades now. But Tibetan yeah. Buddhism is, is increasingly as well and um, by as a political movement and that is Western Tibetan Buddhism. But so has uh, a lot of the New Age and a lot of the neo-pagan movements, and even some of the esoteric orders. I wrote a lengthy, art- I wrote a, a lengthy rebuttal uh, of uh, a statement about cosmic politics that that got me in trouble. It went from from one uh, <laughs> Rosicrucian group. Yeah, I said, there's no such thing as cosmic politics because the, the universe is only about power. It's about harmony. Yes, that's the harmony, but it's about power. It's not about any notion of human politics, of representation or democracy or any of that stuff. It doesn't exist. Just look at the, the animal kingdom. That's that's the universe. Except, unfortunately, there it's you know the, the power is 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 uh, it's different. So you know when we when we when we look at all these churches, we can see that when when the spiritual uh, organization an initiatic organization or any of that no longer has contact, viable contact with the invisible, That's it, it, it's egregore has degraded, it's collapsed, it's toxic, and it becomes either parasitical to its members uh, in a really bad way, or it just becomes parasitical and degrades into political movements and social platitudes. Gosh. That's a great explanation of what's been going on. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to understand when you put it in these terms. And it it gives all of us, and I I, I know our audience is going to be uh, feeling that they really have something they can sink their teeth into with your work, Mark, because it does really give good direction, your book and and your time with us tonight, on evaluation of everything you're doing and thinking. Is it in your own best interest? Is it advancing you on the path of self-awareness and consciousness? Or is it trapping you? And is it if it's if you're being trapped, then something else is feeding off of you, right? That's pretty much it. That sums it up well. Mm. And so and the I re- people I- that find themselves in this cycle of trauma drama is what I call it. Trauma mm-hmm. drama. <laughs> uh they are being fed off of. So they recycle this stuff over and over again and Again, it's important for our audience to hear this, to know that something else is benefiting from that, not them. Oh, sure. And if you had a good psychic come in there, uh, they would probably be able to perceive it even. Really? I mean, it's very real. Wow. Yeah. It's very real. Uh, this is, and it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just the way the cosmos is. People just have these mm-hmm. fairy tale ideas about things. And when I say fairy tale, I mean like Disney fairy tale, not original Grimm fairy tale. <laughs> <And> <laughs> they, they, so they have these, right. uh, they have these very pleasant but delusional, delusional notions of how things are, 
and that's in a, a Gregor in its own way. And then you just have to wake up and be a real adult in the universe, take responsibility right. for your life, and suddenly you, you know it's very freeing. You know you 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 know you're good to people. You know how to treat people. You're making progress in your life. You're accomplishing things. Uh, you see the world in a better way. And even though it is at times very violent and very difficult and um, it can be very depressing. Uh, somehow you're able to continue on and, 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 and make genuine contribution because you're not expecting other people to respond to your vision of the way things should be, nor are you hiding out in some fantasy of, uh, of enlightenment or, or utopianism or, or whatever else or, or magical powers or whatever else things happen to be. You actually make yeah. real progress. You see, that's what this is all about, is, is making that kind of progress. And I know our audience is, is very dedicated to their own work on themselves and their own exploration along this line. And, and this book that you wrote is going to be very helpful for everybody. So, again, the title is Egregores, The Occult Entities That Watch Over Human Destiny. It is written by Mark Stavish. You can get it on Amazon.com. It is a terrific book and mark we can't thank you enough for being on the show tonight this has been tremendous this has been Absolutely. wonderful I, please feel free to invite me back anytime we would love to have you back and i have a feeling you have a second book coming out about this stuff it just feels like i said there's more to it and i can't wait and i know pk you must feel the same way we cannot wait to see your next book with this, and we're big fans of Supernatural too, the television show. <laughs> so, one of our favorites. Oh my God! Well, after Buffy ended, you know, Supernatural kind of took over. So I'm glad to hear oh. you're a fan of that great show too. It's we all we love something. to get those guys. On. We need oh yes, we do. Yes, we so do. Exciting. We need to have yeah, those guys on the show, or at least get Castiel on. I mean, he's got to talk to us. So. <laughs> we got to find. We'll, we'll make sure I get some autographs. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That's right. Well, Mark, thank you again for everything. It's been a terrific show. And I, if anybody tuned in late, you'll be able to hear the entire show right after we get off the air. It's going to be archived. So feel free to tune in from the beginning. It's a very important show to listen to. So until next week, everybody, we'll see you on the Blue Highway. We've got another exciting show coming up next week. Same time, same station. Be sure to tune in with us. And we'll talk to you next week. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girls. Okay, we got to hear your secret. <laughs> it's really simple. All right, what is Come it? up with a good title. <laughs> come okay. up with a good title, even if it's boring, but at least come up with one. And now when I write a blog, I generally have a snappy title because I know i got to grab them and catch their attention. 
Right. Uh, so one of the blog posts I wrote, and you can I'll send you the link so you can read them, was like, why angels can be douchebags. <laughs> now, <laughs> okay. Now I, I went around. I went around a long time on that because while uh, I'm not a moralist, you know, I, I tend to have a certain view about what I do in public. So I thought, you know, geez, I don't know. But you know what? It's not that terrible of a word. We'll use it, right? Okay. Yeah. So uh, the, the one I'm working on now is, uh, hey, kid, get off my lawn, in other words, from Franz Barden. You know, my readers will know who Franz Barden is. So it's the idea that, you know, the old guy yelling, hey, kid, get off my lawn. So I'll do something snappy for a blog. But for a book, you just look at my books. The Path of Alchemy, Energetic Healing and Natural Magic. Boom. Between the Gates, Lucid Dreaming, Astral Projection, and the Body of Light and Western Esotericism. Boom. You know, Cabal for Health and Wellness. All, everything is clearly defined in the title. That way I don't sway off topic. I don't, you know. Then what I do is I sit down with a big sheet of paper or a whiteboard. If you have a whiteboard, use that. Big sheet of butcher block paper and then just brain, you know, mind map all the ideas. So write down the key word, okay? So you might even not come up with a title. You may come up with your title from the mind mapping, okay? So I go write down alchemy, and then I circle that, and then off of it I grab my pens. In other words, it's all train of thought. You do not think about this. You just write down whatever comes to mind. Let it come up from your unconscious where it exists in memory. So you write down all this stuff, boom, 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 energy, natural magic, and you're connecting the lines, and you connect all these lines, and you draw right stuff out, and you're moving around, and you're doing it fast and furious. You know, if you come back to it, fine, but do it fast, because then you don't, you're not thinking about it. You're just puking okay. on the page. I used to tell all my <laughs> students in writing and all my students in public speaking, you're going to write an outline, right? How many of you can't write an outline? You know why? Because you don't have anything to outline. You don't even know what you don't know and what you do know. Puke it out right. on the page. Then on one side of the page, after I'm done, on the far side, I draw a line or a dotted line, and then I start to enumerate. Now, this is just the beginning of the, of the process. But then I enumerate the 12 key ideas, 12 chapters, 12 key ideas that you have to know. Okay? That's simple. Now, of course, that's simple, right. Then what do I do? I take those 12 key ideas and I break it down. Each key idea has now three sub-key ideas that you need to know. What are the three points that I have to know? So if you take my book, Path of Alchemy, and you open it up, you'll notice that underneath the title, there's, you know, in the old, you know, the way they used to do it in the old books, they'd have yeah. these three little points that you're going to read or what are the, 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 the stuff you're going to read. That's an old teaching mechanism. I tell you what you're going to learn, then you learn it, you read it, and then I summarize it for you. So oh, that's if you look good. at my book, that's right. This is how you actually learn. So what are the three key points you have to learn? So now I do that. Okay, so now I've got 12 chapters, and each chapter is going to be, we're going to say roughly, let's say 4,500 words just for the sake of discussion. So mm-hmm. it's 4,500 words. Oh, man, that's, that's a lot. That's like I'm writing a book that's 50,000 words now or more. I said, yeah, it's not, that's a lot. No, it's not because how do you eat an elephant? one bite at a time. <laughs> right. Okay. If you, if you take that chapter now and you break that down into each key point now is what? 
Well, that's only 1,500 words. People think that's a lot. You, you write 1,500 words all the time. That's 500 words is two pages, so 1,500 yeah. words is six pages. Yeah, that's not We're much. talking 12 pages. Now, right. what do you do again? You repeat the process as subpoints. So now each point now, each key idea then has three sub-ideas that are associated with it. So you have three key ideas per chapter with nine sub-key ideas, three each, right? Boom, boom, boom. I mean, that's mm-hmm. like now if I have three, that's like right. And if I know my three sub-key ideas to a 1,500-word section, or, or, or this is like just writing paragraphs. Yeah, that's I'm just, sti- I'm just, I'm just stitching it together. Wow, that's a brilliant way to do this. I yeah. like it. People make the error, and I remember because I used to say, "Why couldn't I do outlines?" I used to do outlines in high school and college, and they were horrible. I said, "Why <laughs> I can't do this? You know, why are you asking me for an outline?" And the reason was is because I didn't have anything to outline because I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh huh. Right. I didn't even know what I knew. Wow. So that's where the mind mapping is critical. You just puke it all out on the page. You just—it's some kind of—it just every idea associated with it just gets vomited out there and multicolored pencils linking your ideas together, and then you sit back and you relax. Say, okay, I can walk away now. And when I come yeah. back, I'm going to begin. I'm going to begin to organize it. Order out oh, of that's chaos. Great. That is great. Wow! But you well, need now the I chaos see how you before. Did this. Yeah. yeah, before you but get you it organized the... into something coherent. That's right. That's your that's your that's your literary big bang. Just boom. Yeah. That's great, Mark. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's so helpful. God, well welcome. thanks again. That was a wonderful hour and a half with you. We really enjoyed it. I don't know what happened to PK. She must have got disconnected off the board. But uh, I know she's working on a book, and I am too. So we really both appreciate your insight on how to do this without shooting yourself in the head. So. <laughs> oh, I had, I had one friend, and he was writing a book, and he was a perfectionist. That's the other thing. You got to oh, know when you're good enough. That. Yeah. And yeah, you gotta let that go. He, and I said, "Dude, this is a book, not an encyclopedia." <laughs> I mean, it, you, you you have to, you know, it's like the turkey, the popper on the turkey. The turkey's done now. Pull it out of the oven before you ruin it, because right. right. you you can ruin it. Yeah. Oh, easily. But yeah, yeah. It takes the life out well, of it thank- sometimes. Well, yeah, then becomes a super boring chore, and, and it doesn't. The other reason you have to write a book is when I tell people, clients come to me to help them write all the time, and, and we're we're doing some. I'll tell you, the one thing is I always say, okay, well, what is it that you want to write? Good. Why? What's your vision? Where does this fit into your life plan or your business plan? Because that that has to be clearly understood. Otherwise, you, you you're going to give up when it gets difficult. Yeah. And I said you have you have to be prepared to write the book rewrite the book, and then do a third revision. Yeah. I said the second revision is the hardest part. The third revision is actually the easiest. But the second revi- the first the first draft is hard, but the second mm-hmm. revision, the first revision, second part is the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, I'm helping a, a rabbi uh, work on his memoirs as an exorcist. Oh, and, wow. 
Mm-hmm. And that is That's uh, extremely difficult uh, because he's not clear on where this fits in. Because what it is, is essentially, he's dying. Okay? Mm. Mm-hmm. We're on the clock here with this. No, you sure are. Wow. Okay. So we have to get this done uh, in very short order. Yes. Well, what do you got, Nathaniel? Well, yeah, sure. Bring him up here. So we have to get this done in short order. So I'm telling him, you have to bang out this first draft. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I could take this down? I'm off the air. So thanks. Um, you can... The unspoken, well, the spoken understanding is that as long as we get the first draft done, uh, I can fix it and get and publish it for him. You know, mm-hmm. if he dies. That's right. Yeah. Okay. You know, just so you're aware, too, and this may help him to know this. I may not. I don't know. But are you familiar with Richard Gallagher? He is a, a Ivy League trained psychiatrist, and he is doing a book that's coming out in the fall, and I think it's going to be a bestseller. And it's about exorcism. And he comes out, he came out on our show and said, look, these demons, they're real. And he said, I'm a trained psychiatrist, and I can tell you there's a difference between people who are mentally ill and people who are possessed. And it was a great experience to hear him talk as a bona fide psychiatrist, board certified, about the experience of exorcism and actually seeing paranormal events happen around these people who are possessed. I don't know if it would help your rabbi to know that there are other people coming out about this who are esteemed. Well, he knows. You know? he, he, he knows this. He's, he's well, he's very familiar with all this, particularly his experience. Oh, good. Uh, but that's, that's the issue. I mean, the problem, too, is as the author and the co-author, and I don't... Uh, I don't. What I'm about to tell you, I do not say lightly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And I refer you to that section in the book Egregores about uh, Masters, James Masters, mm-hmm. yeah. <clears throat> the the husband of uh, uh, what was her name, the one who did the uh, the the section in there about the group Egregore, whether they were trying to create this group entity, but then yes, they also the, dissolve yeah. it at the end. Okay, and right. he talks about when he was writing his book, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I think it was, um, I'm going to drink here, Eros and Satanism or Sexuality and Satanism, I forget, in Witchcraft, Satanism and witch- or Sexuality mm-hmm. and Witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was in Arkansas, and he's out there, uh, and he's, the place just becomes a crap hole, you know. Stuff's dying, birds are dropping out of the sky, he's got bugs oh, everywhere. Oh, <laughs> He's thinking, what's going on here? His friends are telling him, dude, this place is horrible. It's the only place around. You, your river runs dry and, you know, you got dead cows everywhere. So what's happening here? Yeah. And he finally, he finally realized at some point that the phenomena that was happening around his house, and no one wanted to visit after a while, of course, was identical oh, yeah. to what he was writing about. Oh my was, God! Was, was, right, and then he began to realize, wait a minute, you know, there's there's something real's going on here, and that he wouldn't consider. Now, um, his uh, Davidson, the fellow who wrote the Dictionary of Angels, mm-hmm. are you familiar with the book? 
I have it. Dictionary of Angels. Yeah, right, I'm sure, because it's, he was, now he wrote, uh, if you go online and you check, and I think it's in the introduction to his book, he says that when he was writing that book, he was bedeviled by angels. And he talks about the paranormal phenomena that occurred. Wow. So I'm going to tell you this and leave it at that. When um, helping this fellow with his book uh, created, we'll just leave it at a series of regular and clockwork phenomena Mm -hmm. that had to be dealt with on my end. Oh, boy. So well, luckily you have the talents to do that. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, fortunately, fortunately and it's, it's, the problem is that it's these beings don't like their – you see, we're their humans are their food, and they don't want their, their food taken away from them. Oh, they don't. That's so true. Yes. Oh, my so, goodness. Uh, you know, if, you, if, if you talk to this fellow, this uh, psychiatrist, I'd love an introduction uh, because I, I'd love to uh, hear more about him and and uh, some of the work that he's doing. I, I'm familiar with it when you brought him up. I recognize the name, and I remember reading an article yeah. with him uh, from last year. So yeah, if he's he on was, your show. He was a great interview. Yeah, he was on. He was a great interview. Uh, very unfortunately, he had a few sound difficulties at the time, but but he was really excellent. I mean, again, very highly trained psychiatrist comes out and says something like this. It's groundbreaking. Oh. And he loved being on the show. Gonna, yeah, really. And uh, <laughs> he's planning on coming back again right before the book uh, drops. So that'll be like the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. But I will definitely let you know how to get a hold of him. He's a great guy, well, and you would enjoy him. I, 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 I'm going to tell you, I, I have so many things I can't follow everybody's announcements. But if you send oh, yeah. me an announcement on his show, I'll make sure that it goes out to my list. Okay, sure. I'll make sure you get that, Mark. Thank you. And that's and so kind. The same thing with, and same thing with Facebook. I'll make sure that they all get it. Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks. And I'll send you the link. Uh, actually, tonight I'll have it, so you can have it for your list. And thanks so much for everything tonight. You're a very wise man, and it was a lot of fun talking with you tonight. Thanks so much. Oh, great. Hey, have a great time, and you know, give me a call sometime, and. Uh, we'll set something else up on one of the other more pleasant topics. Oh, okay. definitely. We will definitely do that. Thank you. Right. Okay. Good night. Okay, Mark. Take care. Good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.